This is a podcast about Jeopardy. Hello and welcome to Potent Potables, your weekly Jeopardy podcast where two former competitors bring you recaps and analysis of the week's Jeopardy episodes, a deep dive into a topic inspired by one of those episodes, and a quiz. I'm Emily. And I'm Kyle, whether you believe it or not. (laughs) Uh, So... (laughs) Listeners, if my voice gets a little bit too uh, sultry for you, I apologize. But we have found ourselves this particular week with this as our one opportunity to record. And this is also the day that my vocal cords decided to uh, descend by like a full octave due to Mm -hmm. various respiratory uh, infections, I guess. Not really sure, but are, are you normal? Like, what's your normal voice part? Are you normally a tenor? Are you normally a, like um, you don't you don't strike me as a tenor? I mean, my my normally. speaking voice is a baritone. I reside around yeah. like if we want to get really technical in it, like around F to A in mm-hmm. the bass clef staff. But today I was hitting uh, like a like a B below the staff, <laughs> like. Like consistently, some low notes. <laughs> there are some very low notes. Yes. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, you get Kyle after dark voice <laughs> this week. Just changing yeah. it up. <laughs> um, Thanks for being a good sport, I mean, Kyle. It's fine. I feel fine. I just sound really weird. I'd be okay if I kept some of this low range. You know, when I when it mm-hmm. all gets better. But whatever. Anyway, that's kind of how I am. Emily, how are you doing? I'm doing okay. I I have um, fallen down the video games rabbit hole and am obsessed with my pretend farm Yay. on on Stardew Valley. We got another one. <laughs> and I have collected a whole bunch of video game recommendations from friends. So I've got a whole list of titles that I can work my way through as my video game obsession continues. It's amazing. I'm so happy for you. I miss the days of wonderment. Yeah, it's days of wonderment indeed. Uh, I finished my first ever video game, which was, I've been in a couple of debates about whether to pronounce it as Gris or as Gree, G-R-I-S, which was lovely and very enjoyable, I thought. Good. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard a lot of good things. Yeah. It's a pretty quick video game. I saw reviews saying, you know, three or four hours. Uh, It was the first video game I ever played in its entirety. And so for me, quite a lot more than three or four hours, probably two and a half to three times that, I would guess. Now I'm um, really (laughs) deep in Stardew Valley. (laughs) You're so deep. And and I'll tell you what, uh, from... I am not a, a huge fan of that type of game, but from what I understand of Stardew Valley, you can just play it forever. Mm-hmm. You can just keep playing it. So G- good luck with that. I'm told that people think of kind of the main story of Stardew Valley as like restore the community center and get married. And then like once you've done those, you've kind of done the major objectives. But I'm, I'm told that you, you can just keep going. There's a lot there. So, yeah. Well, I'm very happy. And you know what? Maybe we'll just turn this podcast into a Kyle and Emily talk about video games podcast, but not, mm-hmm. not this week. We'll have to plan a little bit ahead for that. So, this week we have a week of Jeopardy. It is the week of Monday, September 19th. And on the first day of the week, we have the contestants Jason Freeman, an event producer from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Suzanne Goss, an oncology advertising consultant from Brooklyn, New York, and Emmett Stanton, a freelance writer from Baltimore, Maryland, whose one-day cash winnings were $25,800. And we have the Jeopardy round categories, Historic Happenings, A Hunger for Reading, Flags, Hodgepodge, Words Before Words, and TLDW, as in Too Long Didn't Watch which was all about long movies. Yes. Words before words, I liked. They would provide three words, all of which were the second word of a two-word phrase, two-word phrases that shared the same first word. So bean, market, widow was the $200 level. 
black bean, black market, black widow, Suzanne Rangan with what is black. Mm-hmm. So it was a fun category, I thought. It was fun. It was nice. It's a nice, like, change of pace to get not wordy clues. Mm-hmm. For, for me, yeah. at least, to just get a little thing where you have to figure it out quick and, like, that's it. Mm-hmm. At the $1,000 level of flags, they missed a Colorado clue. Indeed, they did. The yellow on the flag of this state capital symbolizes the state's gold, the white snow-covered mountains. And Suzanne tried what is Colorado, and then Jason tried what is Montana. Suzanne was in the right state, but they were asking for this state capital, so the correct response there would have been Denver. Yep, indeed. We had a reversal in the historic happenings category at the $600 level. The clue is this imperial palace complex in Beijing was no longer the seat of government after the Chinese Revolution. And uh, Jason rang in and said, what is the forbidden palace? That was ruled incorrect. Emmett got the rebound with what is the forbidden city. But they the judges later reversed that and allowed forbidden palace to be acceptable. Yep. I was not anticipating that one. Often when there's a reversal, I've already sort of looked skeptically at my television. But yeah. Um, yeah. I I immediately thought Forbidden Palace, and I wonder if this is the same for, I mean, who knows, for, for Jason. I've talked a lot, speaking of video games, I've talked on the podcast before about how playing Civilization has taught me a lot mm-hmm. of things, particularly important landmarks. And in Civ Five, it is the Forbidden Palace that you build, not the Forbidden City. So I think my brain has replaced that, the term Forbidden City with Forbidden Palace. Yeah. Um, Who knows, though? (laughs) Who knows if that's why he thought that? Yeah, who knows? (laughs) Civilization comes up, comes up a lot in trivia circles. I mean, mean, it is a game that is meant to cover the entirety of human history. (laughs) Yeah. So it kind of makes sense. (laughs) Yeah, there's a big overlap there in that particular section of the Venn diagram. Daily Double number one is in flags at the $800 level, and Emmett finds it as the 24th pick. He's just about tied with Jason at this point. 4200 for Emmett, 4000 for Jason. Suzanne's in the negative. He wagers 2000 and gets the clue. The blue and white in Somalia's flag were influenced by the flag of this body that has played a role in Somali history. And he gets it right. It's the United Nations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so at the end of the Jeopardy round, uh, he's taking the lead with 7,200. Jason's at 4,400. Suzanne is even deeper in the negative at negative 600. And we have the double Jeopardy categories. Goddesses, take the Broadway home, four-syllable verbs, Jack, London, and the Call of the Wild. Jack London is the author of the Call of the Wild. So that's a, that's oh. a fun set of categories. That's right. I see what you did there. <laughs> we had a little bit of a, a tricky moment with Ken at the $1,200 level of Jack. Uh, the clue was Jack London set the call of the wild during the 1890s gold rush in this Canadian region where he tried to strike it rich. Emmett tried what is the Yukon and Ken ruled him right and then immediately stopped and said no more specific and apologized. Mm-hmm. Emmett tried what is the Yukon Territory, but they were looking for the Klondike. Which is a region. Which is a region, right. Uh, I think Emmett maybe thought be more specific meant, like, the word Yukon is correct, but we need... A, the, like, official name yeah, or something. Yeah. yeah. So, I was not especially on Jeopardy! social media that night. I imagine that folks were not pleased. I didn't see anything about that. Huh, okay. I didn't I didn't see much hubbub. I also didn't go looking. Usually it's forced upon me whether I yeah. care, whether I want to see it or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did not come across that. Doesn't okay. mean there wasn't it. Yeah. All right, Daily Double number two is in the London category at the $1,600 level. Pick number 13, Emmett finds it. Uh, I believe Emmett found all three in this game. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, he wagers 2000 as we come to expect from him and gets the clue it's dome dominating london skyline it's been called christopher wren's magnum opus and he has no idea he guessed what is the shard uh, but that's saint paul's cathedral mm-hmm. 
the shard is a little bit newer by like i don't know 500 years <laughs> yeah Emmett doesn't find Daily Double number three until the 30th pick of the round. Very last clue um, at the $2,000 level of the Call of the Wild. He is at 10000 at this point with Suzanne at 8600 and Jason at 8400 He wagers 2000 so he is potentially dropping to third place. Yeah. I think that's... I, mm. I don't think that's a good wager. I, I think he didn't think about it before he wagered yep that's my guess i think if you're on pick number 30 and you're in the lead either go for a lock or try to keep your lead yeah right those are the two things those are kind of the two landmarks that you want to be thinking about at that point so he got the clue named for its call it's the tall north american bird heard here <laughs> i'm not going to uh you don't want to do it yeah um so there, there was a sound effect i have watched so many tiktok videos this week with the sound of hank green trying to make a bald eagle noise <laughs> i'm just not i'm not gonna i'm not gonna do it i'm not gonna wow. I'm not gonna attempt a bird call you're you're such a gen zer with your video games and your tiktok i know i know i'm um, trying to continue to be a young person mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that that's steve buscemi right. jeff like fellow, a- <laughs> young, fellow youths <laughs> yep that's me um anyway it was a whooping crane but emmett tried what is a turkey so he drops down into third place yeah rough break yes so he does drop to third place going into final it's very close emmett's at eight thousand jason's at eighty four hundred susanna's at eighty six hundred And the final Jeopardy category is historic documents. And the clue, the governor of Massachusetts wrote, it is a poor document, but a mighty act. Wrong in its delay till January, but grand and sublime after all. Emmett was the only one to get it correct, and that is the Emancipation Proclamation. Mm -hmm. Now, his handwriting was real bad. And I know that they have judges, they, and they're watching the pens, like, I'm not saying it shouldn't have been accepted. I imagine they had a hard time, though. Mm-hmm. It was hard to make out what letters he wrote. Yeah, agreed. Um, but it was accepted, and he bet it all, so he doubled up to 16000 Incidentally, that is probably not the correct wager in that situation, but it works out for him. Right. <laughs> right. Also, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but Jason wrote, what is the Plymouth Compact... Um, that is incorrect, and he wagered everything but $2, and Suzanne wrote what is the Stamped Act, and that is also incorrect, she wagered 6000 so Emmett uh, wins with 16000 Yeah, not a cover bet from Suzanne. Mm-hmm. Nope. Yeah. Interesting wagers across the board here. Mm-hmm. But that's what makes the game interesting, is the variation. So that brings us to Tuesday, where we have the contestants Juliana Marmon, a pediatrician from Concord, Massachusetts, Kelly Shannon Henderson, a classics professor from Cincinnati, and Emmett Stanton, a freelance writer from Baltimore, Maryland, whose two-day cash winnings total 41800 And our Jeopardy round categories are World War II, Science and Nature, Heteronyms, There's the Rub, Lettuce, and Entertain You. You in quotation uh-huh. marks. <laughs> Each response will be a title containing the word you. Uh, we had a couple of fun, uh, like back and forth there from the two to the 400. Mm-hmm. Uh, the $200 was disappointingly the sequel to this 2013 film about a team of bank robbing illusionists was not called. Now you don't Kelly Ringen said, what is now you see it. That's incorrect. Emmett got the rebound with now you see me. Uh, and then the $400 clue was, in 1964, two Beatles songs debuted in the U.S. Top 40 a week apart. Please Please Me and this song, Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. Uh, Emmett got in with, What is She Loves Me? And Kelly got the rebound with, What is She Loves You? Mm-hmm. Ken noted that she got the pronoun correct. Yep. But careful talking about pronouns, though. You might alienate a lot of your audience. There, Ken. <laughs> We didn't have pronouns in my day. That's right. You'll never see me using pronouns. <laughs> Absurd. 
there's a like a screenshot of a comment circulating in my circle. Somebody said, if, if any teacher at my child's school is using singular they, they ought to lose their job. <laughs> Like, <laughs> there oh, it is there oh, it is oh, oh. Wait, wait what they are wait. yep just go ahead and go ahead and read that back yep it's hilarious yes know. and like i understand what they're trying to say but like that right. that we didn't used to use pronouns i'm like mm. <laughs> oh, you just don't know what they are yeah you just don't know what that word means friend yeah so Daily Double number one is in the science and nature category at the $600 level. It's only pick number five, and uh, Juliana finds it. She wagers 1,000. Fine, fine wager. Uh, and gets a clue. 370 miles in diameter, Olympus Mons on this planet is the largest volcano in our solar system. They showed a picture, and she doesn't know it right off the bat, but she does guess what is Mars, which is correct. Mm-hmm. That's a good fact to stow away. Olympus Mons is on Mars. Yep. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Emmett is in the lead at 4,600. Kelly is at 2,000. And Juliana is back down to 1,000. And we have the double Jeopardy categories, Capital City Etymologies. I'll have seconds. Lesser known names. Genres of poetry. Current slang. And before and after people. Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah, that I was like fun. Category. Yeah. Jennifer Lawrence of Arabia. That's good. The current slang category was like more current than most of their so-called current slang. That's true. I will agree. It was, although some of it was not quite so current. Yeah. I mean, emo is a term from when we were kids. Yeah. And I'm not sure. I wouldn't use emo for a drama queen. Right, no, like that's no. That doesn't feel like quite quite the same. Yeah, Those aren't the, same the, the usage is not accurate. Yeah, yeah. I agree. yeah. However, the two thousand dollar clue letting Kelly say "yeet." <laughs> yes. Why is for this four letter word, which can mean to throw or to be an interjection of joy? Yes, <laughs> getting to hear "yeet" on Jeopardy that was good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I appreciated that. Daily Double number two is in the Capital City Etymologies category, and Emmett finds it. It's the third pick. He wagers 2,000 and gets the clue, Wisdom in Greek is the derivation of this Balkan capital city. And he gets it right. It is Sofia, as in Sofia, Bulgaria. Um, This felt easy for me for a $1,200 clue. Yeah, I guess. I mean, it is fairly common knowledge, but it's also... Mostly in know it if you know it or you don't. Yeah, I mean, you, can, you can kind of maybe quickly go through your Balkan capital cities and try to land on one that. Oh uh, like yeah, I mean, right, I guess I thought wisdom in Greek is uh, is pretty. Yeah, is well known. It is well known. I would agree with that, but M- much more well known than which stand country has Tashkent as the capital. That is something that I memorized prior to appearing on Jeopardy, and then subsequently mm. forgot. Mm. I felt like. Yeah. It's a capital city, but also its name means wisdom in Greek. It's much more accessible than... Oh, yeah. 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 Then, then guessing which stand at Tashkent is. Yeah. Um, and Daily Double number three is in all have, have seconds at the $1,600 level. Pick 15, Kelly finds this one. And she has been making a bit of a move, and she wagers 5000 which I really like. The clue is an Ivy League school was named for British statesman William Legg, the second earl of this. And she takes a second, probably going through Ivy League schools, and she guesses what is Dartmouth. And that is, that is correct. Mm-hmm. So she gets herself in the lead, and I think she pretty much holds it for the rest of the game, or at least until final. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the double Jeopardy round, Kelly's at 19,800. Emmett's at 15,400. Juliana's at 3,400. We have the final Jeopardy category, American government, and the clue delivered on January 8, 1790. The first of these was also the shortest at 1,089 words. And uh, Emmett's the only one to get it correct here. Again. Yeah, again. Juliana tries, what are the Federalist papers? Uh, She hasn't wagered anything, so she stays at 3,400. Kelly tried what is an inaugural address. That's a 
reasonable guess, but doesn't quite line up date-wise, right? Like, there's not a presidential inauguration that year, and the inaugurations were in March until they were moved. She's wagered 11,001, so she drops down to 87.99, and Emmett has, what is the State of the Union address? And that's correct, he's wagered everything, 15,400. Probably too big of a wager for this situation, because you're expecting Kelly to drop down to the, you know, 10,000-ish range if she's made a cover bet so ideally a smaller wager would let you stay above if everybody misses but hey it works out in his favor because he gets to pocket thirty thousand eight hundred for this game amen (laughs) yeah all right and uh so on wednesday we have the contestants martha bath a retired cpa from seattle washington christopher pennett a sports journalist from chicago illinois and emmett stanton a freelance writer from baltimore maryland whose three-day winnings are now seventy two thousand six hundred dollars and we have the Jeopardy round categories, lakes and rivers. If it quacks like a dock. <laughs> shoes. Crossword clues J. Great American pears and Budweiser and sports. I saw that category come out and I was like, Clydesdales are going mm. to be an answer. And I was right. They were. Ha ha. You were right. They were at the $400 level. Referencing horses that appeared in Budweiser Super Bowl ads. I also remembered which Italian city had the 2006 Winter Olympics. It was Turin. Emmett knew that one. And I knew who drew, drove the number eight car in NASCAR. That was Dale oh. Earnhardt Jr. Yeah. I knew more than half the sports questions. Yay. Well done. Thank you. Daily double number one is super early this round. It's in the lakes and rivers category at the $800 level. And Martha finds it at the fourth pick. She has a thousand and very charmingly says she guesses she'll make it a true daily double. I thought she was, I I enjoyed watching her play. Yeah. She gets the clue. The pre-Incan Uros people still inhabit floating islands high in the Andes in this lake. And she knows it is Lake Titicaca. Which I still don't think I can say it with a straight face. I mean, if you're about to win $1,000, maybe you could. But. At the end of the Jeopardy round, Emmett's at 2400 Christopher's at 6800 Martha's at 5600 And we have the double Jeopardy categories, Emperors, Two Books in One, People in Places, Belief Systems, Modern Westerns, and Four Consonants in a Row. Mm. Two Books in One, they combined two book titles by the same author, and then you were supposed to provide both book titles. So, you know, not like a before and after. So The Grapes of Eden, the correct response is The Grapes of Wrath and East of Eden. Mm -hmm. It was interesting at the $2,000 level of the four consonants, they showed a painting and the clue is, as depicted here, this word once meant a spirit that plagued you during sleep. It still has a sleep-related meaning, and it showed a picture, like the like the painting. It's like a, a horse mm-hmm. spirit, and that's where Nightmare comes from. I always yeah. wondered. Yeah, that was if strange. Not, like, if it actually had a horse, like... It's a bad horse. ...connotation, right? Because it's a, it's a nightmare. Horse. But I always, I always just assumed that, like, the etymology of those two terms were not related. Yeah, or but like that the mare was, like, from some other language and meant, I don't know, something else. Right, exactly. Spirit, yeah, vision, yeah. whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it was. It's just a horse. <laughs> it's just a ghost horse. Yes, that bothers you while you sleep. Yep. So next time my kid has a nightmare, I'll just explain to her. Oh, it's just a horse coming to say hello. I don't think that'll help. Yeah. No. Maybe. Maybe not. We get daily double number two further up in that consonants category at the twelve hundred dollar level. Pick number nineteen. Martha finds this one. Uh, two. Or she wagers three thousand. He gets a clue, a ceremony signaling new construction or an adjective describing anything revolutionary. She gets it correct with what is groundbreaking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they heard me say that they don't put the Daily Doubles in the wordplay categories. Mm-hmm. And they were like, oh, we'd better do something about that. Mm-hmm. Yep. We have a lot of power. Yes. And definitely they taped this after we recorded, like, last, last week. week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
it was nice to see a Daily Double in a wordplay category, I thought. Daily Double number three is in the Emperor's category, also at the $1,200 level. And Emmett finds this one and surprises Ken by wagering 10000 Oh my gosh. Yep. Ten, he Ten, bet it all. It's a, he, it's a true Daily Double. He's in third place with not a lot left on the board. That's a bold move. It is a bold move. He gets the clue 14th century African emperor Musa I is best remembered for the splendor and wealth exhibited during his 1324 pilgrimage to here. And he gets it correct. It's Mecca. I, th- I thought that was a bit gettable too. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, agreed. Um, well, I, I was about to say where else would the pilgrimage be to, but I guess there are other places, right? Yeah. I mean, Mecca is like, I hear the word pilgrimage and that's like the first place that comes to mind mm-hmm. with no other context. Yeah. So so Emmett doubles up there, and he gets another one right, too. So at the end of the double Jeopardy round, he's in the lead at 22,000. Martha's at 15,400, and Christopher is at 10,800. They get the final Jeopardy category, Famous Names, and the clue, perhaps the most famous picture of him, was taken in New Jersey in 1951 as he was annoyed by paparazzi on his 72nd birthday. Christopher wrote, who is John the 13th? That is incorrect. He had wagered everything. Mm-hmm. And so he drops to zero. Martha got it correct with who is Einstein. This is the picture of him with his tongue out. And that is correct. And she also wagered everything <laughs> and doubled up to 30,800. Emmett, uh, I guess he should never go into Final Jeopardy with the lead because he got it wrong. He said, who is Winston Churchill? And uh, wagered 10000 So Martha, who was on Jeopardy in the Art Fleming era that she talked about, mm-hmm. comes back and becomes a champion. So on Thursday, we have the contestants Michael Mankus, a data analyst from Kansas City, Missouri, Linda Suboy, a communications specialist from New York, New York, and Martha Bath, a retired CPA from Seattle, Washington, whose one-day cash winnings total 30800 And our Jeopardy round categories are Better Moments in History, Children's Books, Farming, Must Be Nice, Movie Title References, and Change One Letter Word Pairs. Each response will be two words with one letter difference between the two words. Yeah. And the clues were set up in such a way that you were supposed to say the two words consecutively. Like the $200 clue, enjoyment for an ardent sports follower. That would be fan fun. Mm-hmm. But Martha rang in and said, what is fun and fan? She stuck to like the order that the clues were given in. Mm-hmm. And they, for the most part, through that category just simply offered the word and the other word rather than like putting it into a phrase. Yeah. Into a phrase. Yeah. Yep. That was interesting. Yeah. We had some slightly more recent than the usual children's books in the children's books category, which I appreciated because Jeopardy's children's books categories, much as I love them tend to be really heavy on like a classic children's books you know like there's a lot of harold and the purple crayon and you know dr susan yeah beatrix potter and winnie the pooh winnie the pooh did appear in in this one or no no he didn't but a.a milne did we'll get to that later Mm -hmm. so there's a lot of children's books of the childhood of the generation that makes up a lot of jeopardy's audience right yeah or perhaps the books they read to their children in decades past. But we did have a couple of more recent ones. We had Antango Makes Three, a story of two of these male flightless birds who are given a chick to raise at a zoo. Linda got it, that's penguins. And then one of my kids' favorites was at the $400 level. A picture book from 2013 tells of the day these drawing implements quit. Lou is tired of only being used on bodies of water. And Michael got that one. It's the day the crayons quit, which is a fun book. I had recently just heard of that book. I need to find it. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, there's a sequel too, which is not as good, but good. Called The Day the Crayons Came Home or something like that. Hmm. That'll be good because my daughter really, really likes or dislikes when stories do not resolve with like a happy ending or like... Uh, you know, reconciliation, mm-hmm. which is hard when I'm trying to teach her cautionary tales. 
because it's like, no, just the bad thing happened to the guy who did something bad. And then she's like, but then, but then the good people gave him another chance, right? Because we should always give people another chance. And I'm like, that's yeah, right. Yes, we should. That's right. We should. But also, but also don't do the bad thing in the first place. That's mm-hmm. the whole point. Just don't do the bad thing. Ah. Why do you have, ah. Thank you for being such a good person. Ah. <laughs> Speaking of kids' books, Daily Double number one is in that children's book category. It's at the $800 level. Pick number five. Martha finds this one as well. She's at 1200 She wagers 1200 And the clue is A.A. Milne adapted this children's book for the stage and renamed it Toad of Toad Hall. And she gets correct with what is The Wind in the Willows. Mm-hmm. That's you had mentioned, A.A. Milne. Yes. So, at the end of the Jeopardy round, Martha is in the lead at 7200 Linda is at 2000 and Michael is at 5000 And the double Jeopardy categories are Geography via Kokomo, which is a... I don't know what that is. I think... Somebody correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that it was geographical locations, all of which appear in the lyrics of the song Kokomo by the Beach Boys. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Thank you. Yes. I must have missed that explanation because that category did not. I like it. Was, did, did Ken give a, an explanation? I, if I he did, know, I missed maybe. it. I had to just put it together. It was just geography to my mind. Yeah. Anyway, geography via Kokomo in my autobiography, humans in space, old fashioned, Beyonce songs and sounds just like an animal. There were a couple of rounds of Martha being reminded to remember her phrasing. Mm hmm in this game and maybe also the previous one which reminds me that if you are trying to be on Jeopardy just practice always saying what is yeah because it doesn't come naturally at first right I mean then you get in the in the habit of doing it and then you're watching the chase and you're just saying what is blah 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 yeah I got called out for using Jeopardy phrasing at like a town quiz bowl event mm-hmm. well I mean at which point you get to be like yeah, well, I've earned it, so mm-hmm. back off. Mm-hmm. We had another pilgrimage to Mecca in the uh, oh, autobiography yeah. category at the $1,600 level. The clue is, Ella, I said, I want to make the pilgrimage to Mecca. That's Malcolm X. Nobody got that one. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's why it's on my mind so much, because it's also in this episode. Yeah. Daily Double number two is in the In My Autobiography category. At the $2,000 level. And Michael finds it at the 11th pick. So he wagers 4000 And the clue, I think Ken must have practiced how to do this pronunciation and did an impressive job. Both the name of the language and the name have clicks in them, which I have learned a little bit about how to do, but only enough to know that I really don't do them correctly. So in Kosa... Rolilala means pulling the branch of a tree, but its colloquial meaning would be troublemaker. And Michael doesn't know. The correct response here is Nelson Mandela. I confidently guessed the wrong thing. I was like, oh, it's Trevor Noah. Mm. Because yeah. that's his background and his like his language. And I remember reading his autobiography and that he you know he talked a lot about cosa culture so so i was like ah yes definitely trevor noah like no 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 that's not a bad guess though yeah thanks i would say (laughs) and daily double number three is in the humans in space category at the 800 hundred dollar level pick number 26 michael finds it he is a good deal behind martha but he wagers eight thousand gets a clue in November 2000, Yuri Gidzanko, Sergei Krikalev, and William Shepard became its first residents. And he gets it correct with what is the ISS. Mm-hmm. So going into final, Michael's in the lead with 18,600. Martha's at 15,600. Linda's at 3,200. And our final Jeopardy category is pop culture. And the clue is, in 2011, Leland, Mississippi, where Jim Henson grew up, Honored Henson and his Muppets by renaming a bridge this, also a song title. And they all get it correct. Linda has what is 
Rainbow Connection and has wagered 2200 bringing her up to 5400 Martha also has What is the Rainbow Connection with a wager of 10500 which brings her up to 26100 And Michael has it as well, and he's wagered 12601 a cover bet, which gives him the win with $31,201. Mm-hmm. So on Friday, we have the contestants Navid Merju, an attorney from Elmhurst, New York, Jenny Daly, a curatorial assistant from San Francisco, California, and Michael Menkes, a data analyst from Kansas City, Missouri, whose one-day cash winnings total $31,201. We have the Jeopardy round categories going home. Take me to the pilot. New Harlequin romances in 2022. Cutting back on the brand. So gallantly streaming and tiny three-letter words. Hmm. It's at the end of the round, but the last clue was in that tiny three-letter words at the $1,000 level. This quick dance move using your arms was popularized by Migos and Cam Newton. And Jenny got it correct with what is a dab. Ken asked her to demonstrate, and then she did it. Mm-hmm. Because she's a good sport. It was awesome. It was great. Dabbed us into the break. Yes. So did Ken. Yeah. His was not as good. True. Yeah, that was a good moment, though. Cutting back on the brand was brands that shortened their names. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about Dunkin' Donuts becoming Dunkin', being a Massachusetts person as you are? I'm going to keep calling it Dunkin' Donuts, but <laughs> there's a fair proportion of the Massachusetts population that already just called it Dunkin'. So, mm. yeah. Okay. We don't really have Dunkins out here very much. Huh. That's so strange. I know. I know. It's strange coming from there where they are more common than Starbucks. Yeah. What do you have out there besides Starbucks? In terms of like... Like who? who is Starbucks's competition? There have been some Dunkin's opening up. Krispy Kreme was really the donut place for a long time. In Denver, we have like Dazbog Coffee. I've never heard of that. It's not just in Denver, but there are a number of places. We have Dutch Bros Coffee, Dutch Brothers. Just making these up. (laughs) Yeah, we have uh, Flim Flam Coffee and uh, and, uh, Hopper Shorts. You never had Hopper Shorts. And... um, yeah. Yeah. The names of popular chains that are like not your local ones. They always seem like they sound yeah, weird. Like up. that is fake. <laughs> you cannot convince me there is a grocery store called Piggly Wiggly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then like people like move to Massachusetts and are like price chopper star market. What? <laughs> no, no, no. It's- what are you doing? You just go to market basket. Yeah. Oh my gosh, Market Basket. Anyway. Anyway. <laughs> Daily Double number one is in Take Me to the Pilot at the $800 level, and Michael finds it as the fourth pick and wagers 1000 He gets the clue, this wealthy man of many interests designed and flew his own planes, circled Earth in a record 91 plus hours in 1938, and owned an airline. And he has to fight for it a little bit, but then he gets it correct. It's Howard Hughes. And at the end of the Jeopardy round, Michael's at 3,600, Jenny's at 4,600, Navida's at 4,200. And we have the categories American History, Bible Study, It's Only a Country. A will be the only vowel in the name of each country. Infrastructure, Song Snippets, and Yiddishisms. I got thrown off at the $400 level of infrastructure because they were looking for a country and I was committed to thinking only about countries that only have the letter A, A, but that wasn't the category. So I got all messed up. I had that same thing because it was so late in the round that they came to that clue. Mm -hmm. I had in mind it had to have only A's. And I was like, Monko, Rush, what? (laughs) What? (laughs) What? Nepal, no. (laughs) Northern border. That's two countries. Yeah. China's northernmost town. Yes, I know, I know Nepal is, was not the answer, but like after my brain rejected Russia and Mongolia, I started casting about for for somewhere right. else. Yeah. yeah. The clue there is in 2019, a highway opened over permafrost to link Beijing to Moa, China's northernmost town on the border with this country. Russia is the answer. 
Russia has letters in it other than A, which is fine because yeah. the category for that one is infrastructure. Infrastructure. Just yeah. like watch out for that. Like I know that it happens. I specifically try to avoid having it happen in my brain. And nevertheless, it, it yeah. happens. It does. Yeah. They struggled a little with the Bible study category, but they, they did. Yeah. They got the 400 and 800 at the $1,200 level. They had to identify the ancient city in southern Turkey, which was the birthplace of St. Paul. Uh, Tarsus, nobody tried it. They couldn't think of which queen told Solomon, it was a true report that I heard in mine own land of thy acts and of thy wisdom. That's the queen of Sheba. Um, And they didn't know the term for the gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They're called the synoptic gospels. Yeah, synoptic means seen together because of kind of the overlaps and how they're structured and the ways that stories are told, whatever. Yeah, which scholars now understand is because of common sources. Yeah. Daily Double number two is in the American history category at the $1,200 level. Pick number three. Michael finds it. He wagers 2,000. Modest wager. He's slightly in the lead. Gets a clue. Speaking at the opening of a World's Fair, he was the first U.S. president to appear on television. And he does not offer a guess, but it is FDR in 1939, I think Ken said. Mm-hmm. Daily Double number three comes up at pick 15 at the $1,200 level of It's Only a Country. Michael finds this one and wagers 3000 and gets the clue. The Tropic of Capricorn passes through this Indian Ocean island nation about 300 miles south of the capital, Antananarivo. He tries, what are the Maldives? That is incorrect. It's Madagascar. Mm. Uh, so at the end of the double Jeopardy round, Michael has maintained his lead. He's at 11,400. Navid is at 8,600. And Jenny is at 4,600. They have the final Jeopardy category literary characters and the clue in a later part of the epic named for him. This character becomes king after his cousin Heardred dies in battle. Jenny guesses a title character of an epic and says who is Gilgamesh, uh, but that is incorrect, uh, and she wagered 4,001. Navid got it correct with who is Beowulf, and he wagered 8,500, nearly everything. And Michael also got it correct with who is Beowulf and made a cover bet of 5,801. So he is a two-day champion, and we'll be back on Monday. Mm-hmm. Whew, so that's the week. Yeah. So this is the point in the episode where we remind you that we have a Patreon. It is patreon.com slash potent potables. You can go there to find some exclusive content and support us financially if that is something that you are interested in doing. Uh, you can slide us a few bucks. You'll find our quiz questions up there uh, once we finish recording so you can kind of get a sneak peek at that. And if you just got some money and you want to support a podcast that you hopefully enjoy, if you're spending time listening, we hope you enjoy it, <laughs> then uh, go ahead and head over there. It's patreon.com slash potent potables. And uh, of course, we always uh, take a moment to uh, encourage you that even if we are not where you want to send your money, there are better causes than our podcast. We have been highlighting abortionfunds.org and communityjusticeexchange.org as well as well as some others that are still in the show notes, if you're interested. All right, Emily, do you have deep dive guesses? Yes, I do. I am not confident in them. Are we talking about Douglas Adams? We are not talking about Douglas Adams. Strat. Okay. I've never actually read his books. Huh. I need to. Yeah. They're on my list. Okay. Along with everything else. Yeah. <laughs> what about Malcolm X? Not Malcolm X. Okay. The Massachusetts Bay Colony and or Anne Hutchinson. Uh, It counts as one guess because it was one clue. (laughs) No, we are not talking about either of those things. Perhaps it was too on the nose, Mm. um, but we're talking about Denver. Ah, of course we are. Perfect. Uh, Yeah, that was the Monday game. The missed clue that we already talked about, about the flag of Denver. And I was like, you know what? Maybe it would be, you know, too on the nose for me to talk about Denver. But also, this might be the only chance that I get to talk about Denver. Now, of course... With my voice in the condition that it is, uh, this will be fairly quick. It's not going to be a real in-depth history of Denver or anything like that. I'm just going to give you some facts. I'll go through kind of the general timeline of the the city of Denver, 
and then some just fun trivia facts that I have come across just to round out your knowledge. Cause Denver is, and because I live here, I'm going to be more adamant about it is a major American city. Mm-hmm. It is perhaps the most major city basically between, I don't know, like Kansas city or Chicago and the West coast. Right. I mean, Salt Lake is a city. Las Vegas is a major city, but they're very spread out, right? It's not like on the east, in the you know, in the, in the east where you have major city next to major city next to major city. So I feel a little bit of a chip on my shoulder that Denver often gets overlooked as, you know, a prominent city in this country. So mm-hmm. let's just learn a little bit about it. Great. So Denver City was founded in 1858 in what was at that time the Kansas Territory. Part of modern-day Colorado was in the Kansas Territory up until 1861. Before 1861, the first newspaper, the Rocky Mountain News, began its publication in 1859. The Rocky Mountain News is no longer around, which is a fairly recent development and pretty sad. Because they provided good journalism. But, of course... Many newspapers have gone under, and the Rocky Mountain News is one of them. They were bought up by the Denver Post about probably 10 years ago, I think. In 1861, the Colorado Territory is organized, and Denver becomes part of that, uh, and becomes named the capital of it. In 1863, there was a major fire in downtown Denver. Most of the buildings were wood construction, and nearly all of downtown Denver was destroyed at that point. And the result was an institution of laws that require new buildings to be made of brick. So if you come to Denver and go to downtown, you'll see all of the historic buildings are made of brick and still standing. That also helped to kind of establish Denver as more of a, I guess, quote unquote, serious city, rather than just having a bunch of saloons and brothels and stuff (laughs) that had been hastily thrown up in kind of a, a Western town. In 1870, we begin the first trains operating And in 1871, the Denver Horse Railroad begins operating. Now, the Transcontinental Railroad actually gave people in the Colorado Territory, and particularly in Denver, a lot of worry because the decision was made for the Union Pacific Railroad to go north through Cheyenne, Wyoming, rather than through Denver. So as a result, the territorial governor, John Evans, after whom... Mount Evans, one of the major peaks in our region, uh, was named. He partnered with local business leaders and East Coast investors to form a railroad company to link Denver and the Colorado Territory with the National Rail Network. And the Denver Pacific Railway and Telegraph Company was established to essentially get Denver a rail system that would meet up with the Transcontinental Railroad. Mm. In 1876, Colorado is the newest state in the union and denver becomes an official state capital at that point in the early days of denver it was a western town it was a boom town it was originally established by settlers like i said out of the kansas territory and it particularly drew people to mine for gold there was an early gold rush in the 1850s and 60s following that later on we had a silver rush which led to a number of different places in Colorado, including Montezuma, Georgetown, Central City, and Idaho Springs, as well as Leadville, farther up in the mountains. But silver mining brought a lot of wealth to the residents of Denver. With this kind of rapid increase in wealth, and also the fact that the Colorado Territory was very new, and so government wasn't particularly established, and even into statehood, it was very young, there was a lot of corruption, a lot of crime, Um, a lot of Old West mentality. And so in 1889, a particular event occurred where Soapy Smith, a con artist and kind of gangster who kind of ran some political goings-on in Denver, assaulted the editor of the Rocky Mountain News, John Arkins. And at that point, the Rocky Mountain News began a crusade to rid Denver of Soapy Smith and other corrupt members of the political organizations. And so over the next decade or so, Denver started to clean up a bit. In the 1890s, 
The financial panic of 1893, as well as the collapse of the silver boom, led to a economic depression in Denver, and droughts had hurt the uh, agricultural industry as well. So the 1890s were a tough time for Denver, and then going into the 20th century, there was a kind of turnaround under Mayor Robert Speer. Several new projects added new landmarks, including the City Auditorium, the Civic Center, and the Denver Museum of Nature and Science, which is still around. And as an attempt to assure Washington and people on the East Coast that Denver was no longer a frontier town, he brought the 1908 Democratic National Convention to Denver. In 1906, Red Rocks Amphitheater opened up, and they established the National Western Stock Show, which is the largest stock show in the nation, and still continues to this day. Through the Great Depression, Colorado actually did okay. Coal mining in Colorado was affected as alternative sources of fuel were widely adopted, and labor strikes hurt production. However, agriculture in this part of the country was able to kind of bounce back. Colorado saw the longest recorded wet period in its history from 1905 to 1929. But then in the 30s, the Dust Bowl came and had the same effect here as it did anywhere else. In World War II, after the bombing of Pearl Harbor, Denver and and Colorado got on board, stopped being isolationists, and we got the establishment of the Rocky Mountain Arsenal, as well as Buckley Air Force Base. The Rocky Mountain Arsenal and Rocky Flats, to this day, housed nuclear materials and are still considered dangerous places to go. (laughs) There are jokes about uh, mountain goats that glow at night because they feed in uh, Rocky Flats and, and near the Rocky Mountain Arsenal. Whether that's true or not, who knows, but that is an urban legend around here. After World War II, Denver began to boom not only because it's simply a beautiful place to live, but the Denver leaders saw an opportunity to expand infrastructure here. They built the tech center and things like that. Also, during World War II, the Denver Ordnance Plant was built, and after the war, it was converted to the Denver Federal Center, which is pretty much the main reason, well, one of the main reasons that should Washington, D.C. come under attack or be wiped out, Denver is the secondary capital of the United States Mm -hmm. because the federal center here has like the largest concentration of federal agencies and infrastructure. Also, it's centrally located and fairly safe. So that's a little uh, trivia fact for you, too. Denver is the secondary capital should the U.S. ever come under attack from a major power. So through the 70s and basically up into today, the Denver area has continued to grow. At this point, the Denver metro area includes a number of other cities, including Lakewood and Aurora, where I live. And the Denver metro area is actually considered by the Sierra Club to be a major offender in terms of urban sprawl, which is true. There was a lot of space out here. And there still kind of is, and people have built and built and built and grown rather rapidly. Denver has not been without its uh, history of problems, particularly in terms of race. There was the Poundstone Amendment in 1974, which was an amendment to the state constitution. Supporters claim that the amendment would prevent Denver from abusing its size and status about county annexations basically saying that Denver can't add more to it. But the detractors pointed out that it would greatly limit the ability of the city to absorb other school districts in neighboring you know, municipalities and thus end segregation, because in 1969, the Colorado Supreme Court ruled that optional attendance zones constituted segregation and ordered schools to be desegregated. Mm-hmm. There was violent response to that, dynamiting and firebombing of school buildings, And so the city of Denver annexed neighboring towns and bus students in in order to make it happen. And so this amendment said that Denver can't annex surrounding towns, but that led to some more racial tensions. Earlier than that, we had elected a man named Benjamin Stapleton as the mayor of Denver from 1923 to 1931. He just, and again from 1935 to 1947, he was a major figure in the history. He was also 
conveniently a member of the Ku Klux Klan. Mm. Uh, the KKK had a pretty prominent presence in Denver and the Front Range in the early 20th century. Luckily, after 1933, the KKK lost its political influence out here. But unfortunately, we do have that history that we are still currently wrestling with. In more recent history, the city's first Latino mayor was Federico Pena in 1983, and Pena Boulevard, which runs out to the airport, is named after him. And uh, the city's first black mayor, Wellington Webb, was elected in 1991 and spearheaded major developments downtown, including the construction of Coors Field, the new airport, and the new convention center. And then that leads up up to today. The big story with Denver now is continuing to deal with the massive influx of, I don't want to say immigrants, but like new people moving to the Denver area because Mm -hmm. it is a beautiful and wonderful place to live. And the infrastructure has had to constantly update to try and handle that. With the massive urban sprawl that we have, Traffic is a major issue. In the 2000s, we had the T-Rex project, which is uh, short for transportation expansion. Mm. Took a long time. They hailed it as a major success. I don't know. When I'm driving on I-25, I don't feel like it did that much. But who knows? Maybe it did. And then, of course, Denver and Colorado in general made national news by legalizing recreational use of marijuana and cannabis products. Mm-hmm. Of course, now other states are following suit, but Colorado, along with Washington, were kind of like the leaders in that regard. And then, so there's just a little bit of history. A few fun facts. The 1976 Winter Olympics were originally going to be held in Denver, but the city, voters in the city, voted against it. So the city withdrew its bid, and it was the first place to ever turn down hosting the Olympics. Hmm. It is one of only 12 U.S. cities to have teams of all four of the major, like, big four sports leagues. Mm -hmm. Like I said, the National Western Stock Show is the largest stock show not only in the country, but apparently in the world. Mm. It's pretty cool. Denver was rated by Purina as the healthiest city in the country for pets. Mm. Apparently looking at categories like veterinarian to pet ratio and a low number of fleas. Denver also has the largest city park system in the nation, with 14,000 acres of mountain parks and 2,500 acres of natural areas. And this I thought was interesting. Denver collects more money for the arts per capita than any other U.S. city. And the Denver Performing Arts Complex is the second largest performing arts center in the world. Which boggles my mind, because, like, I go to the DCPA all the time. Mm -hmm. And, like... It's big. It's got a lot of stuff, but I would never have thought that it's bigger than, like, that is the second biggest in the world. Anyway, yeah, there's some just general facts. Also, apparently in Denver, it's unlawful to lend your vacuum cleaner to your neighbor. Hmm. So there you go. And uh, you can tell a coin has been printed at the Denver Mint because it has a D on it. Okay. And the other mint, of course, is in Philadelphia, so it will have a P on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there you go. There's some Denver facts. Hey! Well, this was fun. Yeah. And the quiz I have might have some more Denver facts. So, are uh-huh. you ready for a quiz? A quiz about Denver. Yes. Okay. Sure. Why not? Yeah. The questions are related to Denver in some way. Some of them... Well, most of them really do have to do with Denver. Here we go. Question one. Denver, like I said, is home to teams in all of the big four North American sports, the NFL, NHL, MLB, and NBA. Which of those teams has most recently won the championship of their respective organization? I have literally no idea. Do you know the teams? Of course. No, no, I don't. Um, do I have to name the team or can I just guess which sport? Uh, how, how about I'll give you half points if you can name the sport? I'll give you five points if you can name the sport and five if you can name the team. Uh, okay. I am trying to get the teams to come back to me. I'm not sure they're all going to come back to me. I'll, I'll, I'll say the Denver Broncos. 
That's not a terrible guess and actually would have been correct before this year. Oh. The Denver Broncos won the Super Bowl in 2013, I think Mm -hmm. it was 2013. Maybe 2014, 15, I don't know. It was a, a little while ago. But just this past season, the Colorado Avalanche won the Stanley Cup. Oh, nice. Yes, so it is currently living in Denver right now. Until, until the season starts up again. Well, congratulations. Yes, thank you. You're welcome. Get to brag a little bit about my apps. All right, question two. Although it is nowhere near the city of Denver proper, what hub that is named for the city is the subject of decades of conspiracy theories, as well as a ghost story about the demonic blue statue that greets you as you drive in, or watches as you leave? Hub named for the city. Hmm. I have no idea. I don't think I've heard of this. Um, and I'm not really sure how to go about coming up with a guess. What hub named for the city? I'm just going to pass. I don't have a, I don't have a guess. Not even a generic guess what hub named for the city i mean a generic guess the denver hub (laughs) i'm not sure what kind of hub we're talking about i guess maybe i should follow that a little bit yeah no i'm gonna I'll, i'll pass okay uh it's denver international airport oh oh of course ah of course of course it is If you want a good, fun rabbit hole, look up the conspiracy theories around Denver International Airport. Huh. It's really fun. It's absurd, but it's really funny. There's a lot. There's a lot around it, which I don't really understand why, but they've really leaned into it. So whenever they have construction going on, they put up like, you know, the barriers Mm -hmm. and on the, on the barriers, it says stuff like. Pardon the mess, we're hiding the aliens or something like that. Like it's it's good. That's so great. Yeah, for some reason my brain was like the Denver train station. The Denver train station is just Union Station. Mm. All right, question three. Lewis Ballast, the operator of Denver's Humpty Dumpty Barrel Drive-In, was the first person to trademark what now ubiquitous food. I'm sure he had to fill out paperwork and not just declare, I has it. Um, I mean, it's I I can has cheeseburger, right? I'm going to say cheeseburger. And it is the cheeseburger. The term cheeseburger is a trademarked word. And apparently it was trademarked in Denver in like 1935. I didn't, I came across that today. Wow. Also, the Humpty Dumpty Barrel Drive-In is not around anymore. Mm. But tragically, next time you say cheeseburger, you owe somebody royalties. I think mm. maybe not. Maybe the trademarks run out. Anyway, all right, you have ten points. Yay! Yay! This is not impossible. Question four: Denver served as a base of sorts for what counterculture group of the 1950s? Members of the group were mostly authors or poets but some were just content to spend their time searching for it. Um, I think we're talking about the beat movement here. We are talking about the beats. That is correct. Not like the, wasn't the beats. Was that the band from Doug? Yes. Oh my God. I, I, (laughs) that just popped into my head. Nice. Nice. Of course, anybody who wants to be on Jeopardy needs to be, Firmly aware of Jack Kerouac on yep. the road. It'll probably come up. The Denver connection, I think I was not as attuned to, but it's come up a couple times on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Question five. Denver boasts a robust beer and food scene, like many major cities. One particular restaurant that has grown to national prominence since it began in the 1990s started in Denver and revolutionized the fast casual eating establishment. Which Mexican grill am I referring to? Um, you're probably referring to Chipotle. I am referring to Chipotle. I love me some Chipotle. I also love me some Chipotle. I also love videos of old people trying to pronounce the word Chipotle. 
Uh, I need to look into that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I think I would enjoy that too. All right. You are at 30 points and you're going into the final and the category is state songs. All right. Um, I guess I'd better wager all of it. Okay. For 60 points. I had a daily double on Jeopardy about one of the state songs of Colorado where the Columbines grow. The other official state song of Colorado is a 1972 folk rock hit that garnered a small bit of controversy when the FCC considered censoring it due to suggestions of drug use, quote-unquote. What is the title of this song? I have a guess, and my guess will be embarrassing if I'm wrong, but I think it fits. I'm going to guess Rocky Mountain High. That is correct, by John Denver. Yay! Conveniently, John Denver. There are like seven stanzas in that song. There are a lot of words. And apparently the FCC was like, well, it has the word high in it. So it's probably making allusions to drug use. And he was like, it's really that the mountains are up high and you feel good when you're in nature. There's nothing more to it. Like, it's cool to take your friends out camping that's really all i'm saying Mm -hmm. (laughs) so but yeah in 2005 i think 2005 2007 sometime in the last 20 years the state assembly designated rocky mountain high as our second state song nice all right 60 points way to go emily thank you i really pulled off a pretty good recovery there but this was fun and i know a lot more about denver than i did Hopefully our listeners do as well. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of our listeners, hey, thanks listeners for spending your time with us. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a rating review if you could. If you want to check out our Patreon, it's patreon.com slash potentpotables. And if you have friends who are Jeopardy fans, let them know about our podcast. You can all find us on Facebook at Potent Potables, on Twitter at Potent Potables 1. Our email address is potentpotablescast at gmail.com, and our website is potentpod.com. And we'll be back next week with another week of Jeopardy. And until then, may your minds be quick and your buzzers be quicker.